Okay, I want to welcome everyone back to the Pints and Provisions podcast. Mark and I are sitting here with a friend of ours, John, who is the owner and captain of Brink Brewing from <laughs> from Cincinnati, Ohio. So welcome, John. Glad to be here. Thanks for inviting me on. Yeah, it's a little interesting setup. John and I actually did a, uh, a bike trip together for a philanthropy project about 16 years ago, so... Back then, I think I didn't know much about craft beer. I don't know how much you knew about craft beer, but that's kind of how uh, how this all came to be. What was the beer of choice back then? Um, it had to be wet and fizzy. <laughs> and cheap? Probably. Yeah, that helped. Um, you know, honestly, and I'll, I'll get into this a little bit, but I, back then, I was the guy who was bringing Sierra Nevada and probably more likely Boston lager to parties and stuff. So um, I took a lot of crap for that, but I've kind of been into this for, for quite a while. And uh, that's kind of part you, of our story. You were ahead of your time. Uh, yeah, okay, we'll take that. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, I, it, it's interesting. I think I've read a little bit on your bio about how things got started, but I think that's a perfect place to get going is, you know, where did the inception of not only craft beer because i think that ties in a lot to your brewery your names of your beers and stuff and uh where you where you ended up here and we can kind of break it up so go ahead yeah uh the whole story starts with uncle jack um my uncle used to travel to uh europe a lot for work and while he was there he drank interesting beers and He'd be drinking Salvatore and Hefeweizens and things, stuff that really wasn't, you didn't see that back in the States. So he got really into it and he lived near New York City and he'd like go to these really obscure bottle shops in the city and come back with his um, his treasures that he'd find. And um, we'd come visit in the summer times and whatnot. And I'm probably 18, 19 years old. Um, my brother's older than me, so he was legally sampling but uh uncle jack would just expose us to these these really interesting beers that were just so different than anything that that you expect to find on a college campus or or whatnot so um so we were interested in it for you know pretty early uh uncle jack was like one of the original shareholders of sam adams when they went public oh wow he was just so into it yeah he's got a stock certificate of 10 shares of, that's cool uh, of sam so um so yeah, he was just way into it, and Boston Lager was just something that was always at his house, and whenever we'd visit, we'd drink it, and then we took the, that experience kind of back with us, and you know, as college kids, I'm not going to sit here and act like that's all I drank. We drank the cheap stuff, too. That's, that's sure. what you got to do, but, um, but yeah, so that was always an interest of mine, and then, you know, Uncle Jack was, uh, he's got some hippie in him, and he uh, he was into home brewing um, way back in the day, and he he got my brother into that. So my brother was there in his college dorm at Ohio State, brewing in like a like a three quart pot or something on the kitchen stove, blowing up their their crappy house on campus there with these <laughs> nasty blueberry concoctions and stuff. And you know back then ingredients weren't like the homebrew shops of today. Back then you bought a can of syrup and dumped it in on the, the stove and off you went. So. Huh. Uh, so my brother Kelly, he got into home brewing like way, way early. Um, he kind of fizzled out on it for a while, and then picked it back up, and and you know he, he enjoyed it. He um, and then he entered one into a competition, and he ended up taking a gold medal in the amber category 
and my God, the fires were lit. Once he <laughs> something, it was on. And then next thing you know, he's brewing nonstop every weekend, uh, competing everywhere he can compete and just got way into it. So uh, by that point, though, I had moved to Denver. Um, he was still in Cincinnati. And, you know, he'd come out to visit me in Denver every once in a while. Um, and I ran into this, this brewery here that had started up, Wits End. And Scott was the owner there. And me and my brother Kelly are hanging out with him one night. It was like a Thursday night. He was getting ready to close it down. He ended up like sitting and talking to us for a while. And he's explaining how he built this brewery that all it was was a tap room. There was no distribution. There's no canning line, no bottling line. And my mind was just blown that that could be a thing. And he's like, yeah, you know, I put this together with $60,000 on my credit card. And wow. my brother and I are looking at each other going, wow, that's really interesting. I know they don't have that in Ohio, and this is starting to pop up here in Denver quite a bit. And that's a really, really interesting business model where uh, the amount of capital needed isn't as much as you think. And man, the margins are pretty good if you cut out all the middlemen. So maybe there's a business there. So um, some time went by. My brother and I would, you know, we'd, we'd talk once in a while over beers late night, be like, yeah, wouldn't it be cool to start a brewery? And, um, he calls me one day, it was about four years ago to the day, it was early May, out of the blue, I'm at work, and he's just like, hey, I got this friend who just came into some a little bit of money, and I know you said that that you know you'd never move back to Cincinnati. He wouldn't he couldn't move to Denver. The missing piece was like who's gonna run the day-to-day business? And he's got this friend who's got an accounting background and you know runs a, he's a business manager or something at his day job. He's like, maybe we should talk and see if, uh, you know, what this might look like. So I was like, okay, yeah, right. Like this is going to go anywhere, but I'll, I'll have the conversation. <laughs> and uh, we're like, okay, let's write a business plan after we met and talked a little bit. And we put together a business plan over uh, that summer or the next couple months. And we're like, we could do this actually. We could actually maybe pull this off. And at the time, the taproom only kind of brewery model had still hadn't taken off in Cincinnati. And we were like, we'll be the first ones. Um, my wife is an interior designer. She's kind of badass. She, um, not to brag, but she uh, designed the employee tap room at the uh, Coors Brewery out in Golden. Yeah. Wow. And some uh, major design awards for that. She's, she's really good. So that's like a little secret weapon we had in our back pocket was that we'd be able to design a really cool brewery at a budget where people are paying tens of thousands to get that design work done, we'd be getting that gratis. So yeah, so she starts to get involved, and we take this business or to take this um, business plan to the bank. And the bank goes, "Wow, this is one of the best business plans we've ever seen." <laughs> we also learned that not everyone who shows up at the bank asking for a loan even has a business plan, which that was eye-opening. But apparently, that's pretty common for them. Wow. <laughs> so they're looking at us going, you guys are pretty viable and um, we'd be we'd be interested in, in you know helping you out. So it took us three years from that summer before we sold our first beer. Two years of planning and a year to put it together um, before we launched and before we first opened. And my God, and so you know, the name Brink, everyone asks, where does that come from? <laughs> It's in those three years, man, we were all on the brink of giving up on this thing. Once you commit to it, and we made everybody put their money in early, 
And once the money's in, then you're you are really tied to this thing. But sure. man, all the challenges you run into that and everyone says it's hard and there's all those platitudes and cliches to putting it together. Uh, the day to day grind of like every time you get your hopes up, they get dashed. And it you get to a point where you just like you can't get excited about anything anymore. And uh, we kept grinding, and uh, we got to the brink of quitting, but we stayed with it. And then a couple, we caught a couple breaks, met the right people, and it came together. We signed a lease and went to work, and holy crap, here we are. Very cool. Well, I think that's a perfect segue into what you know we want to first start off with, and I'd be remiss to say that I'm not going to crack something that you guys sent from Brink. So I love that you guys sent us a good beers. Yeah, thank you. I'm sure that you can tell us maybe a little bit about this because this is the English Mild. You guys won at the Great American Beer Festival just to, in the fall. Yeah. All right. That's a perfect segue because after all that grinding, all that hard work, pain and suffering and frustration, standing there on that stage in Denver at the Great American Beer Festival, shaking hands with Charlie Papazian on stage with a gold medal around her neck was like the moment where it was like, I don't care what happens from here on out all that time and effort was worth it. That was so much fun. So the English mild you have um, was one of our entries in uh, the October 2017 Great American Beer Festival. Uh, the funny story is, is that uh, when you submit your, your, you get to tell the, the festival what you're gonna submit back in the, the middle of the summer. Um, we had another beer planned and after it came out brewed, my brother just said he wasn't happy with it. He didn't want to compete with it. He asked the festival if he could switch to something else. They said, sure, you're in before the deadline. <laughs> We're going to switch to this mild. So this was a this was a plan B beer. Wow. And um, here we are at our first year, just a few months out of the shoot, gold medal around the neck. What a moment. That was awesome. So uh, English mild is not a style you see very much. Um, it really focuses on the malts and the hops take a, a back seat as you'd expect. It's low ABV, sessionable, um, that toffee and caramel. And yeah, I was going to say lots of caramel. And it's got that great body. I saw that you know one of the things he wanted to do was create a little bit more body. So he added some, some oats, I think I saw in there. And he got some brown malt, which was kind of very unique to this particular um, style and it was really hard to get, but he found someone to make it. This is, I could crush this all day. Oh yeah. Yeah. The key is you, you drink some of those sessionable beers and they just taste so thin and papery. So can you, can you make it taste like a beer right. um, while still keeping it low? And so I think he's done a great job with that. And I think that that's, I think that's the next big thing that is going to come along in styles is how much flavor can you pack in something that's low ABV, you know, all of these 8% double IPAs, barrel-aged stouts are fun to drink, but you can't sit there and have a bunch of those and survive the night or survive the next day. Yeah, and when you think about the Brink identity, we're at we're, we're a tap room, and that's that's mainly what our who we want to be. That's our identity. We don't uh, aspire to to sell 50,000 barrels out the back door. The goal is to have people come to our place and enjoy our beer. And so we're beer drinkers. We go to breweries. We want to hang out and, and have a few beers while we're sitting there. And if all you got, and I've been to tap rooms like this where it's just a bunch of seven and eight percent beers, that just makes for a short night. So, um, oh yeah, this That's fits right point. in. With, we want you to come in and hang out with your neighbors and be there a while. So the English Mile fits perfect with that. 
Yeah, and this is something like my wife would be happy drinking instead of you know drinking something big and heavy because she's not going to have near as much fortitude to handle those big beers either. So she's always looking for something that's 5% lower than that. So, man, this is awesome. Very good job. Nice job, yeah. Kelly. Hey, all the credit to Kelly. Um, this I'll, is- even, I'll even give my partner Andy a shout out. He, he convinced me that we should have a mild on the menu. I was like, man, all the data shows that it's just the lowest seller, but all right, we'll go with it. And it's, it sells great. Well, when you make it well, you make it like this it's hard to it's hard not to it it helps and you know having some hardware with it definitely helps you you get bars coming to us now saying hey we want that gold medal beer and we're like okay we can we can do that so so how does that work with self uh, you know self distribution there in cincinnati do you have you know you got the you got the local big players that distributors and you could kind of look at the craft beer bars that probably want to sell your stuff and they kind of come to you or do you have to reach out to them how's that going right now um it's a little bit of both you know and and we really struggle we're a seven barrel brewery which is not big if you if you know anything about um we're definitely on the small side so there are times when we can barely keep up with what we're selling in the tap room there's other times we see these big swings where the tap room slows down and then we've got a walk-in filled with beer we can't move so it's been really hard to try to get the right balance of not selling too much out the door so we can keep the staff, uh, the tap room filled. Uh, but also we do want to get some beer out there just to help get our name out. So we do see a mix of um, the, there's some players in town who know their stuff and they know who we are. We, we've starting to carve out a little bit of reputation, which is fun. Um, and they'll approach us. Um, but we also, we're, we got people pounding the street too. We've got, um, We've got a couple people that uh, not full time, but kind of on the side are, are dropping in on bars and, and um, getting some handles. So um, right now it's it's a really fertile environment. You know, I think craft beer bars and bars in general to attract consumers, you've got to have the, the new thing. You know, the idea that people come back for the same thing over and over again is, is not really what we see. So they are excited to see, you know, we don't do flagships really. Um, right. We have some mainstays we keep in the tap rooms because it's really popular with our, you know, our regulars and things. But we we find we have to mix it up a lot, and that's what Kelly likes to do, so that works well. And then on the other side, distribution side, um, the beer bars like to have something new to give their customers. So that that's been working pretty well. What's the the craft beer scene there in Cincinnati like besides you guys? Are they good players? They play well with others, or? I mean, a good a good amount of some competitions healthy, but at the same time, I feel like these days in craft beer, you see a lot of very friendly collaboration where everyone wants everyone to succeed. No recipe is secret. What's it like in Cincinnati? Yeah, I think Cincinnati's beer scene is it's just starting to really evolve. Um, the laws changed um, pretty recently, you know, within the last five years to even allow like the taproom business model. So that kind of exploded in a short amount of time. So you have a lot of players like us that are, that are smaller. Um, I would say there's a, it's dominated by the two big players in town are Ryan Geist and Mad Tree. Those guys, you see them everywhere. They're big, they're cranking out tens of thousands of barrels. Um, and then you've just got a lot of small guys. Um, you know, so far I, I, it, it's been very collegial. Um, we had a galaxy style beer we wanted to make and found that we were completely unable to find any galaxy hops on the market. <laughs> Called somebody at Ryan Guys and they said, no problem, come on down, we'll hook you up. That's cool. Um, so we're seeing that. I, I know we, we, we've had a lot of help from other breweries um, 
getting our equipment dialed in in the early days. They'd send guys up. We were fortunate that a few brewers from other breweries happened to live in our neighborhood, so they'd drop in to check in to see how we were doing. And Kelly'd be like, "Oh, hey, could you help out with the uh, the uh, dissolve uh, CO thing in the jig?" <laughs> hey, John, I got a question. Um, how did you yeah. guys? How did you decide uh, where in Cincinnati to to um, put down yeah. roots for the brewery? Yeah, that's a really big deal. Um, I told you we, we tried to put this thing together for two years, and that two years most of the time was trying to find location. Um, you know, we didn't have a huge amount of money to spend, so we needed to find, you know, something on the cheap. It was going to need to be, you know, we looked at a few, we targeted a few neighborhoods we wanted to be in. But really what we did was we partnered with the city of Cincinnati, who had a redevelopment effort where they targeted certain neighborhoods where they would help um get funding and, and things like that. And we were working through a couple of those deals and, you know, it, over a year we were trying to get a couple buildings and those deals fell through. But we had a really strict checklist of, you know, what do we want? And we needed a building that could support both a tap room and a manufacturing facility. We needed um, a place that was, had some parking. Um, we needed a place that we really want to have an outdoor space. So a patio was like a, a big sure. plus. And then the last key, which was not as essential, but was really a bonus, was to be like on a walkable street with sh other shops and things on it. And so versus like an industrial area, right? I've, right. I've been to you know I've been to a ton of breweries, and so I, I had a pretty good feel of what I wanted. And um, we ran into this redevelopment corporation. They um, not everyone really they they saw a brewery as oh yeah that's the hot thing we just need to have that. But we ran into this particular neighborhood, a particular redevelopment corporation, who said, "We believe your brewery can be the catalyst for our neighborhood's growth. We want you." And they they were pushing hard to recruit us. Um, the last piece that was essential was we wanted to have control of the building. We wanted to be able to own it. And here in Denver, what I was seeing was these breweries would come into neighborhoods. They would. Uh, be very successful the market value would would take off and then the landlord said thank you for all that hard work now i'm i'm going to sell this lot to a condo developer we're going to level the place go find a new place to go um wow. we'd seen that play out a few times and i said we've got to control our own destiny this redevelopment corp you know we laid that down they said we're going to work with you to, to help get that figured out so we have a path to ownership on our building Nice. So we there Smart. As long as we need, um, as long as we want, and we want to be there a long time. So um, it all kind of came together once that happened. But we've got the patio space, we've got the walkable street, we've got parking, uh, we got a building that's not. We wish it was bigger, but it gets the job done, and uh, it checked all the boxes. So uh, College Hill was the place for us. You know, looking back, we we felt like we were maybe taking a gamble. We were worried that you know, as you looked around, like, is there enough consumers that are into this type of product in this area? I don't know. There's hotter neighborhoods that are you know the the chic, uh, hip places to be. And then um, we look back and we're like, man, we found such a hidden gem here. These people are like us. We're we're middle aged dads. We're not hip, cool dudes that are wearing <laughs> uh, skinny jeans and all that. Like. We just fit into the neighborhood, the neighborhood gets us, and all these people that we didn't think we would be into our product um, have completely put their arms around us. And That's been, awesome. We got all these people who all they would drink is Bud Light came in, said, hey, what's the lightest thing you have? Now we got them drinking milkshake IPAs and doing <laughs> the first so, 
That's great. Burning them one neighborhood at a time, but just that part of the journey has been so fun. And, you know, we read press releases from new businesses coming into the street saying, we saw the success that Brink was having in this neighborhood, so we felt we could do it too, and they're making the investment. And so for us, it's like, man, we are, we're helping build this community back up. And that, that's, that's great. Making beer and selling it's fun, but, you know, really revitalizing a community is, is icing on the cake. So, For sure. Yeah, I think I've seen, you know, looking at your website and everything, it's the community is one of the biggest, you know, talking points uh, besides the beer about your brewery, how the community has gathered around the place. You've kind of been a cornerstone in the redevelopment of this neighborhood. And, you know, you you really seem to have kind of tugged at that heartstring when it talk, when you talk to like the community. And I think you'll probably be successful you know, with that, you'll get a, you get a core of good people around you. You got people that are just, you know, well, word of mouth too, probably one of the best ways to grow a business, you know, yeah. just, uh, you know, well, and that's, and that's what we've relied on. I mean, we've had conviction in that model from day one. Everyone asked us when we got started, like, well, what's your niche going to be? And what kind of, what style niche are you going to get into? Because to compete these days, you have to have like a, a weird thing you do. And I just thought, I don't know that I believe that. I believe that if you stay small, be the neighborhood brewery, and be all about the neighborhood, we, we won't survive if we don't have this neighborhood being our consumers. We won't. We, we can't. The, 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 financial, the financial side doesn't work where we sell all of our beer downtown at the craft beer bars. We have to have people in our tap room, and those people are going to have to come from nearby. And so we, we were just sold on that from the get-go. We built a custom made we spent a ton of money on it and my, my partner was like why are we spending all this <laughs> we built this community table and it's gorgeous it's like, like two different types of wood there's a colorado wood in there and there's uh, walnut it's great go sarah way to, way to go yeah. this this community table the whole idea was let's get people sitting down next to each other who might live a block apart but don't know each other and have them drinking beer side by side and that's happening now we got people calling us every week saying, I want to have a birthday party there. I want to have a retirement. I want to have this. And it's becoming the center of the community. So it's playing out how we thought it would, hoped it would. And, and that model works. So in this day and age where there's new breweries popping up every five minutes, I will tell you, stay small, nail your community, and really do that well and be, and, you know, be honest about it. And I think there's plenty of room for guys like us. And I know that you've talked about how you know being in Denver is an awfully interesting experience where the brewery is in Cincinnati but that may almost work somewhat to this advantage of being able to see how things succeed and fail in a big place like Denver where you're probably looking at where things get started where trends die and you can kind of see how that works and see how that isn't going to work at your brewery in Cincinnati Oh, you're reading right from our business plan. We said, <laughs> I, I don't think we actually got into this in the very beginning. So I live in Denver, for all your listeners. Uh, my wife and I, um, we've been here for about 11 years. Um, so it, there are challenges and running or, or having involvement in a brewery from 1,200 miles away is, is tough. But in our business plan, we said, look, Denver is one of the central hubs of this entire movement. Sure. It is uber com uh, competitive here. We're going to see people trying new things all the time and see what works and what's catching on and what doesn't. And that was our goal from the get-go. 
was I'm a I'm a scout out here. It's tough. It's it's hard work trying to go to breweries and drink all the latest new things and stay on top of it. Yeah, that's tough. But report back to my brother and say <laughs> that is man, tough work. <laughs> thing that's going on we should get into it i'll give you an example last week i'm reading in a local paper here that some guys are working on um something they're calling a brute ipa which oh yeah is, so you've heard about this like this actually sort of champagne type of I'm, uh, I'm i'm just we we always do a, a fairly good shout out to our our local brewery that is bacon waves um and over at bearded owl here in Peoria, I talked to the brewer and they're thinking about doing that same thing. All right, so yeah, well, news is traveling up faster than it ever did before. But, uh, you know, being able to go in, taste those things and report back like, hey man, this is something that's real interesting and we ought to, we ought to take a look at it. So um, that, that's certainly part of what we're after. You're like the Brink captain and scout. <laughs> that's right. And all, that, right. and all that research of going to breweries and drinking beer, that's gotta be real tough <laughs> sign, sign me up it's exhausting uh you know but years before we, we had this brewery come together you sit there we've all done it anyone who's really into this you sit at a brewery and you're like i could have done this better i could have done that better what about if we did this so we finally got to put the, our money where our mouth was and uh, tried to see if we could in fact do it better so so john obviously it sounds like you guys had your business plan and you um really thought the process out up front um have you guys grown at all capacity wise since first starting have you seen a need or are you kind of just sitting in that sweet spot of where you guys are happy with the <laughs> the production that you're doing yeah um I, i'm a little embarrassed to talk about that we started with four seven barrel fermenters um okay. actually we had a we had a a two barrel pilot capacity to start with too. Originally our idea was, oh, we'll just like, instead of sinking a ton of money into a big batch, which for us is seven barrels and for most breweries, that's, that is their pilot. Um, <laughs> we'll just do these little small two barrel batches. And my brother, after a few months of that, he finally mutinied and said, look, it's just as much work to do two barrels as it does seven. I'm throwing this thing out. I don't want it anymore. So that freed up some space. Um, <laughs> So we have added we added a fourth or a fifth seven barrel fermenter uh, back in the fall, and then we have one arriving, another one arriving any day now, which gives us a total of six. So that's a fifty percent capacity increase. Okay. And we are completely maxed out on space now. So All right. unless we start going back to the old carboy method, we are not expanding anymore. Okay. So the challenge will be. There's going to be times when business is really strong and having six fermenters is great. And then there'll be times during the summer when it'll slow down and then we'll have some extra capacity. And I'd like to use those that extra capacity to maybe put some loggers on and things that'll take longer to, to make and have those ready for the fall. Um, I think we can make that work. So it gives us that extra flexibility to keep making a variety of styles, but also start to throw some loggers in the mix. So. Oh, good. You'll have the ability to do some loggering. That's nice. Yeah, and Kelly is, uh, I, you know, I told you he loves competing, so I'm <laughs> sure he really would like to win a medal in a logger category. I think that would really jazz him up. So, yeah, that'd be not, that'd be. I'm sure that'd be fun. That's what we're looking for here. In the, in what, the uh, John? What would you say your favorite style of beer is? Uh, I'm a hophead deep down. Um, I keep trying to tell myself like you really need to not drink so much IPA, but there's so much good IPA right now 
that that would be silly. Um, I, I run the gamut. I really enjoy nearly everything. Um, I do struggle to get into the the Berliner vices and some of that kettle souring stuff. I just struggle to to enjoy those. Um, but I do. I go IPAs first. Love stouts and the dark stuff. Um, and then, as of late, I've really been on this this Pilsner Hellas uh, kick that seems sure. to take. I, I'm really digging that too. There's a there's a time and a place for all those things. For me, it's just about what's the setting and what's the mood I'm in. That kind of drives yeah. me. Agreed. Yeah, that's that's definitely a kind of a welcome style after you drink a bunch of. IPAs, a bunch of stouts. If you sip on a good pills or a good Hellas, it just kind of makes your day because you can have them at lunch, you can have them at dinner. You don't crush your crush the rest of your day, and you don't ruin it. Yeah, and uh, long week at work. Friday night when I'm going to be on the couch watching a baseball game, I'm going to drink a double IPA if I can get it. So, <laughs> um, yeah, my, I know my wife's a big hophead, and she loves sour. So those are the that's what she's drinking, and so. Um, that tends to we get along well in our in what we like to drink. It only doesn't work when she grabs something out of the fridge that I was saving and didn't get to partake in. If you are looking for more beer podcasts just like the one you're listening to right now, then head on over to hoppedupnetwork.com. We are a podcast network focused on our local craft beer communities. Here's a quick example of one of the many podcasts you will find. Hi, I'm Katie. And I'm Kathy. And we are Women Drinking Beer. We drink beer, review them, and tell you about them so you can approach a beer list with confidence. As part of the Hopped Up Network, we cover Twin Cities beer scene along with other favorites as well as interviews with women in the beer industry. We upload weekly to iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts. We can be found drinking beer daily on social media via Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just search Women Drinking Beer and look for the kiss mark on the bottle cap. So if you enjoy beer or nerdy gals or both, we encourage you to taste along with us and come have a beer with us. Come have a beer with us. As much as, you know, the hazy IPAs and milkshake IPAs are fun, I know your um, one of your flagship IPAs, the Gold Strike. They this sent is us. brand new. This, oh. is, this is brand new. I haven't had it. So I need oh. you to tell me how great it is. The Gold Strike was uh, – it's the reinvention of our West Coast. We had a West Coast yeah. style that, that we've been making for a while. It does fine. It's, a nice, it's exactly what you expect out of a West Coast beer. Kelly said, um, I, I want to do it again. I want to – I got some other ideas that I want to play with. So I think this is uh, – this is the, the latest and greatest version. It's pretty fresh. It's probably within two weeks off the off the bright. So for a treat yeah he he sent us some nice descriptions so for people listening you know he wanted to look into eureka hops was it 7.2 west coast style ipa um he loved how aromatic it was he says it just was like pine needles pine needles pine needles so that's i suppose that's what that's usually what you would expect out of eureka hops i want to know a little bit more about what level of Cicerone you are and how that's helped uh, you and your business? Um, yeah, so the, uh, I guess I'm a certified Cicerone. So if you, if you think of it as four levels, the first basic level is the certified beer server. Uh, the next level, and when I had originally had, had gotten involved in it, um, it was only, there was only three levels. So the certified Cicerone was the kind of mid, and then there was the advanced. And okay. I took the mid-level, I think there was 12 advanced in the whole world. 
Yeah. They've since added a level in between where I'm at and the um, advanced, which is, um, I'm sorry, not advanced. Um, master. 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 Advanced is the new level they added in between Cicerone and uh, Master. Nice. So how, how does that play in? I'm sure that, I mean, it makes a lot of sense to, to some people, but, you know, I'd like for you to give a little bit of background about doing that and how that's helped you in your business. Yeah. Um, when, I, when I decided to do it, I was sitting around and just said, look, I think I know a lot about beer. Um, I, I want to I put it to the test. I want to see if I could pass the Cicerone. I actually felt I never could. Um, I thought that the, the tasting part would be too big of a challenge. I, there's, there's times when I struggle to articulate, you know, I'm tasting this thing and that thing, but let's give it a go. Um, and then at the same time, we were doing the planning for Brink, and I just felt that that would help bring an extra level of credibility for a guy who was outside the industry, uh, whether it's talking to bankers, whether it's talking to anybody. Um, I felt I didn't have the credibility as just some guy who works in a fintech job during the day to <laughs> get into business. So um, studied, took the test, uh, passed, and that was pretty freaking cool. Um, you know... As far as it impacts our business, it's not a household term. Um, it's fun for people who know me to tell their friends, oh, John's a, what is it, a Ciceroni? And uh, it's like, yeah, and then I have to explain that. But, um, you know, I think beer people get it. And you know, my brother hasn't gone that path. He's more, he's did the BJCP um, path for his own knowledge. And I think that's a really similar, but they kind of diverge in some key areas. Um, so it gives us a nice, well-rounded base for what we do. Um, but yeah, it's fun to put on my business card. And for me, it was more of a personal challenge. Um, that's where I've seen the most benefit. Is I like having it. <laughs> well, you know, like having a lot of beers, going to a lot of breweries, that experience can just help you um, probably shape what your menu is, what you offer, you know, and that way you can work with your brother a little bit you know, he wants to brew what he wants to brew, but you can always kind of step back and say, hey, how about this style? Have you ever want to challenge yourself with this style? Like, that could be really fun. Yeah. And it, or maybe know, he doesn't take your advice. <laughs> he, he does, and then he makes these last-minute changes, which drives me up the wall, and he probably knows that. Um, it's like we're on this track. We've got this IBU, this hop, and this <laughs> – this ABV and then the beer comes out totally different. He's like, Oh yeah, I decided I want to do something a little different. Um, but yeah, so I, I guess I try to make Brink a, a best of the tape. You know, it's, it's, um, we feel we're in a neighborhood where we don't have a bunch of Cicerones. We got people who don't know beer that well. They don't really care to know beer that well. So they look, they have found that we do a nice job of giving them options to kind of challenge their own taste and find they really like things they would have never ordered before. So we opened up with a, um, a Scotch Ale that has done really well. And, you know, these are folks who never heard of that and would have never normally tried it. But for me, I absolutely, I've always said, I've got this like grid in my head of like nine boxes. Uh, we got to have things that are light. We got to have things that are dark. We got things that are hoppy. We got to have things that are multi. We got to have a high ABV. We got to have low ABV. What can we do to try to cover as much of that turf as we can so that when you come into our place, like I said, I like to drink based on my mood and what the weather and all that stuff is. If I come to Brink five times in a row, I'll probably drink something different each time. And that's the kind of experience I want to give to people. So, so, so smart. That's exactly what I look for. 
I, I want a different experience every time. And I think that's what really brings um, brings people into the brewery is, you know, I'm sure that, you know, the hazy IPA haze guys can bring in, you know, can lines and everything, but that could get pretty tired. It could get pretty boring if you have. Like you said, something dark, something light, something malty, something hoppy. That's a great sort of, you know, square and box to make that probably can help everybody out. Yeah, and in you know, we we planned early on to offer a lot of styles, which put a lot of stress on Kelly early on. To you know, it's a lot easier to maintain four styles, ordering ingredients and all that, and go plan that. But once we kind of got caught up, we can offer 12, 14 styles at a time. That gives us the flexibility to do a milkshake IPA, which brings the, the Haze Bros to the yard. Um, but we also can bring the Blondale, which keeps um, the regulars happy. So we, we can try to tail, uh, tail ourselves to, to both markets. But other breweries we've seen are, are trying to chase the neckbeards a lot more than we do. But <laughs> certainly, uh, you know, we're neckbeards at heart. Hey, so we you want. got something against neckbeards? Um, I'm I'm really enjoying the uh, the gold strike. Um, Can I see it? Can you hold it up? Is it as clear as it should be? Oh yeah, that's pretty good. We don't have a filter, so um, there's only there's some kind of lower bounds of where we can get filtration wise, but that looks pretty pretty clear. Oh no, it's um it's where you would expect a West Coast I think IPA to be. Um, Absolutely, it's got a great aroma that that kind of floral pine it's got some good bitterness on the back end very smooth it's cold and crisp right now so when you have yeah, so um the, the thing i learned about my brother in this whole journey was that every time i come visit him i'd always ask like why don't you have any homebrew ipas available and he's like i don't actually like ipas that much so i don't really do them very often my wife and I were devastated. We we're like, we've sunk all this money in this venture, and you're not even into IPAs. Like, come on, man. Um, where he has found himself is that he like got way into the haze. He loves the low IBU of the the IPA. He loves the hop flavor, but he just didn't like the bitterness. So once he started playing around with those, he loves making those now. So that's I have to force him to make the West Coast stuff. But um, so you'll try that milkshake next. He's really having a lot of fun making the milkshakes. And he's been doing, he's been doing a lot of. Um, Six-year-old came in. I told him, like, you just. <laughs> hey, that's all right. You know what? That's okay. We've I get there, that at that. home too. Yeah. Brings a brings a family shout. It's a so family shout. It's a community shout. Keep me up to date on his Pokemon Go. Uh, yeah. All right. Okay. <laughs> so, so John, just real quick, uh, a couple other questions that come to mind. Uh, just speaking of family. Uh, obviously, your brother's the brewer. Uh, just real quick, I don't know if you mentioned this. I, I might have missed it. Is he your older brother or younger brother? He's my older brother. Oh, yeah, he's my older brother. Okay. Yeah, he's, he's over 40. <laughs> oh, <Not>. wow. <laughs> <laughs> no, and uh, and then the next question that comes to mind is, um, how often do you make the commute back to, to Cincinnati? Yeah, um, it's the most common question I get. We try to get out there every other month. Um Holidays really help drive that. Okay. <laughs> my, mom, my mom loves it. Uh, we were last out in February for our anniversary party, and I haven't been back since, so I'm overdue. Um, my day job has really got me in a place where that's been tough to get away, but um, we are we're going to get there soon. But, yeah, we try to get there every other month. Um, that kinda, I, I do find that the longer I'm away, the more disconnected I get. And if we're going to make this work, 
And for me to be giving ideas and guidance, I need to stay close to what's going on on the ground. So, okay. And now, and now the the next uh, progression of this question: um, Is there ever a chance of a Brink Denver? Oh man, that is the second most asked question. <laughs> um, never say never. It, it's not in the immediate term. I mean. Um, I, I would love to see that. I actually got emailed by somebody today who said, Hey, there's a brewery for sale in Denver. What do you think about Brink West? Um, <laughs> you know, the trick is, is I've got a brewer who I know I work well with right sure. now. Um, how do you fill that important role? I'm not a brewer. That's not my shtick. It would be hard for me to do the day to day business stuff too, aside from my, uh, my day job that I've got. So, um, I don't see that in the near term. It's always something that, that's tantalizing, and, and we'll see. So I keep saying, let's wait for the big brewery collapse that everyone's calling for, the bubble bursts, all the stainless steels on the market, all this real estate. Oh, my gosh, yeah. And then and then we'll come in and, like, we'll swoop in. But right now, Denver's tough because not only do you have a bazillion breweries, but you've got the real estate competition with the dispensaries and the marijuana business here. Oh, wow. Um, is it is a legit factor that if you want a, a you know if you're looking for a, an affordable space that can handle an industrial type thing yeah the marijuana guys are right there with literal cash in hand um, ready, ready to go ready, so, to, ready to outbid you with cash in hand ready wow. to outbid wow. you with cash in hand so that has been an interesting um, in, aspect. Yeah. well hey there's always Peoria Illinois you know there you go we could we could just kind of slowly <laughs> migrate yeah yeah no I you know I think we ought to. We would we would look to expand our current space to take over um, maybe open like a restaurant type of a thing or something in our own neighborhood. That if that that'd be where the best way to spend our capital. Um, I know Kelly loves Denver and he would love to spend a lot of time out here, but um, I the, I don't think that's realistic for us at this time. But if you know some private equity guys who want to buy us out for a lot of money, then uh, we'll be happy to talk to them. <laughs> Well, I can I can only imagine that um, you know with your community aspect, with your um, kind of local ties there, and how much they support you, they probably want nothing more than to just see you grow rather than to see you, you know, reach a tentacle out to another city. And although that city may love it, I think you know I'm sure Cincinnati still has a lot of love to give. Sure. Yeah, and you know, like if we open in Denver, we're nobodies in Denver. Like no one knows about us. So there's a few brewers in town who I know and, and are happy to see us succeed, and they were helpful in guiding us on our business plan. But um, it doesn't mean anything to the market here. It'd be like if Jester King were to show up and say we're opening a Denver location, everybody would go gaga. If Brink is opening up, they'd say what's Brink? So um, that's not a real compelling business model to bring this unknown out there, but let's get our name out there a little more. Let's get on the cover of beer advocate and then, uh, then we'll see. Yeah, that's right. So only because we have a little bit of time left and I just want to be able to do this shake, shake senora IPA since your brother is a big, is a big, he wants to be another haze bro. Yeah. Bro's a haze bro. Um, and then we have another secret weapon. We found that with our small business model, we need a lot of secret weapons, um, aka free weapons. One of our part-time brewers, is, uh, his day jobs, he works at a produce company. And so he's able to, like, they've got this fruit that they can't sell in a grocery store because it's a little bruised or beat up or something. So he brings this, like, all this crazy great fruit to us that we're able to use in these beers. So 
um, that's been a really great uh, help. Oh, for that's us. kind of fun. That keeps the cost down, and um, fresh fruit in, in these beers makes them better than than the other options. So. Now I feel like I can definitely smell the the lactose and the vanilla right off the bat. It's got unfermented blackberry fruit and uh, unfermented mango. Oh, that sounds so good. And this is another one I haven't gotten to try yet. Rumor has it there's a shipment coming my way, but you guys got yours before I got mine. I don't know. How do we get that lucky? <laughs> <laughs> You've been hounding me for two years to get some beers, so I finally said, let's make it happen. I know. I, well, don't think that for a minute I haven't been, like, I lurching think I, I think around and saying, like, hey, I know a guy who owns a brewery. I know a guy. Hey, John, John, get me what you got. Get me what you got. <laughs> and I got nothing to give. Since, for, yeah, for a while you did five hours from here. I think we, I I, think we should road, have just road trips. I think trips. a road trip's in order. But then me and the guys that I do this podcast with, we decided I'm sure people really want to hear us talk about beer all the time, and that's why we started this. <laughs> so we don't have a business plan. We don't have anything that we're selling. We're not having anything that we're going to be. But hopefully people will just still enjoy listening to, uh, listening to us. It's, uh, I've done a few of these now. I find them to be tremendously fun. So, John, I got a couple more questions about the, the brewery and just yeah. the, the, the pub situation there. Uh, just a couple questions. Uh, Food-wise, are you guys doing your own thing there, or do you guys have food trucks, or what, what's that look like? Yeah, we, uh, we navigate the food truck. <laughs> um, Carousel? We do, we do food trucks. Okay. Um, it is it is uh, herding cats at times. I love food trucks. It's, um, it's like there's this weird relationship where when the weather gets really bad, we seem to get emails that somebody's got a flat tire or their battery died or broke up to start that. We've had a lot of funny adventures of the stories that we've been told from these food truck guys why they they don't show up. It's it's great when it works. It works great. Um, they're not as reliable as you hope they'd be and that's why i see a lot of places just say tack with it we're gonna start our own truck or open our own kitchen we we're not restaurateurs we have no interest in getting right into food. you guys are about the beer i can about, respect that you know and that's another point is that what we see in cincinnati i don't know if yours is like I, I know what denver's like that is denver your your tap room sells your beer and that's that's what it does and that's it um in the cincinnati market we do see a lot of Places that get licensed to sell other people's beer. So they sell uh, other breweries, they sell other outside breweries, they sell cider, they sell wine and things. Um, and we've always, we get that question all the time. Hey, my friend's coming. She doesn't like beer. What else do you have? And we're like, we're brewers. We do beer. This is a brewery. <laughs> so set your expectations accordingly. Um, I don't want to come across as arrogant, but it's like that's just what we know. That's what we believe in and have conviction in. So um, I'd like to sell other people's beers. If we like, where that hurts us the most is that we can't do collabs and then sell that collab in our in our brewery. So I, I wish we could do that. But getting into the wine game is, you know what? You like wine? Let me expose you to some interesting beers you've probably never tried, and maybe I could change your mind. Yeah, so, like a brute IPA. There you go. Uh, I I uh, I'm so int- intrigued by that idea. I, I know a couple of places that are starting to offer them, so I'm gonna go check them out. People are so willing to just screw around, and I love it. Well, I think that's I think that's what makes craft beer yeah. interesting. That's that- that's where we've made our name for sure. Not not Brink in particular, but just in general. That you're right. The craft beer scene. That's what it came from. That's its roots. John, you you mentioned just briefly there uh, collaborations. Have you guys? 
Uh, is that something you guys have done a lot of or haven't done at all with other breweries? Yeah, we've dabbled in it. Um, most this past weekend, we released a uh, hazy IPA with a brewery in Cincinnati called Listerman. Oh yeah, oh yeah, we know Listerman. I've heard yeah, that. Yeah, that, that that came together. Kelly just was in the right place, at the right time, and so um, he went over there and, and brewed that with them, and they just released it in cans just last weekend. It, it was a huge hit on the market, so I, I'm excited to try it. Um, yeah, but that's a trick. If we don't brew it at our place, we can't sell it at our place, and so um, we are going to look to try to start doing some more collaborations, but um, we, I don't know. Are we, we might just be shy, and we don't ask people. Um, I think they'd probably be willing to do it, but... We haven't done enough of that. We're talking about a local Cincinnati uh, World Beer Cup collaboration where three breweries in Cincinnati brought home uh, World Beer Cup medals. And so uh, we're fortunate to be one of those. And there's some talk of maybe getting uh, that together. So, yeah, uh, like I said, we dabble in it. But I'd love to see that be a bigger part of our, our business. But not yet. Well, I think the collaboration uh, in the craft beer industry is code word for hang out, brew and drink a lot. Yeah, I I saw the pictures of the the brew day at Listerman, and like I don't know about the collaboration, but they definitely had fun doing it. So uh, I will say though that there's definitely some um, cross pollination of learning techniques, and and there's an education element. I'm sure that everybody who's collaborating walks away having learned something, especially um, for us to work with a brewery like Listerman has been doing for a long time. So yeah, well I think that. One last thing we'd like to just kind of wrap up with is we like to always talk about the best beers we had over the last week. Um, it could be whatever you want, something new, something old, um, old standby, whatever. But what do you say, John? Yeah, um, I was raving about two beers this weekend. Uh, one is the Lagunitas 12th of Never Ale. Uh-huh. I have had that like on a handful of occasions, and like every time, it's just right. They got that; it is bright and just that is a good beer. Um, so uh, that's one I've been pretty excited about. And then uh, Odell Brewing out here in Colorado just launched a Hellas, the Colorado Lager, they call it. Serve it in a 16 ounce tall boy, and I just had that for the first time. And man, that is right on the money. That is a really, really good beer. I took that to softball the other night, and was glad <laughs> it. sounds good. Uh, so those aren't the sexiest. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I got to go to a bottle share, and um, I finally got to try my first taste of uh, Hill Farmstead Arthur, my first try of Rare Barrel and Bottle Logic, and those things blew my socks off. <laughs> you always just assume that the hype isn't going to line up with, with what you get, and oh my goodness, it did. <laughs> those were those were they deserve all the hype they get those are some really special beers definitely mark how about you uh for me i'm gonna go with uh i had a beer out of treehouse uh it was called single shot it's a coffee milk stout oh. um weighed in about 6.4 percent uh it was just a you know nice had nice coffee roasted smell to it but it's really uh, kind of a lactose creamy mouthfeel. It was just spot on, exactly how it should be. Um, but really sweet, kind of chocolate, vanilla notes, and I it was crushable. At that 6.4, it was just, just right for me. I loved it. I expected that from Treehouse. Um, I, I always think of them as the... the exactly. exactly. Well, I, so, I, like, you know, they have, the, they have the, their fantastic IPAs that we all know about, but it's like... I think they're the real deal when it comes to stouts, too. I they, think they're underrated, and yeah. I think that people from New England overlook the Absolutely. stouts that most of their breweries up there do because they're so busy 
drinking haze bombs. Sure. I mean, yeah. it, was, it was just a very well done beer. I, yeah. I appreciated it. I was in Kansas City this weekend, which interestingly in terms of Kansas City breweries, you know, you got Boulevard and there are not a lot of other big players there, which makes it such a, this really interesting big city, but with a pretty good presence with Boulevard. So I kind of went back to old school and had a Boulevard Pale Ale. And, yeah. you know, on a day that we were just hanging out outside, the kids were playing, um, it was very, it just kind of hit the spot. Right mood, right place, right beer. That's all it takes. I want you to ask me this question a week from now. I'm heading to New Orleans tomorrow, and I'm really excited to see what the New Orleans beer scenes have all been to. Ooh, you need to check out Parrish. Well, no, Parrish is, Are they Parrish you can get in bars, but where you should go is Courtyard. Okay. Good. Courtyard, that's, uh, I went there, very small affair, very tiny little place, but they've got lots of options, very good. Good, good luck to you. Have fun. Uh, there's one that's 0.3 miles from the house I'm staying in, so I plan on spending a lot of time there. John, it's been a pleasure. Mark and I uh, have enjoyed listening to hearing the Brink story. I, I'm sure everyone who listens to the podcast will enjoy it too. Yeah, I really we love telling our story, and I I really appreciate uh, you inviting me on. And Evans, great to great to talk to you again, man. Yeah. All right, John. Yeah, John. All thanks right. for your time. Thanks, guys. Appreciate Cheers. It. Cheers. Cheers.